are living your story right now in this moment. You know, no two stories are alike. We are all unique. We all have a different lens through which we see the world. We all have something to contribute, to share, to be. That uniqueness takes courage. It's not easy to stand in your truth. It's not easy to let yourself be vulnerable, to be really seen, to be really heard. So many of us hide. So many of us stay hidden. So many of us make the choice to step forward, to own who we are, to own our stories, to share our voice. The tide is turning. We're moving into a space of deeper vulnerability, courage, authenticity, and love. We're moving closer to greater self-love, self-acceptance, honesty, and empowerment. To get there, to get to that space, means we have to authentically share who we are. It means we have to authentically show up as our true selves. The magic is in sharing who you are. The magic is in sharing your story. That's where this series comes in. Own your voice. Love yourself. Stay true to your story. Dive deep into your vulnerability. Shine in your authenticity. Once you do, there's no stopping you. Stay honest. Stay brave. Stay true to who you are. Welcome to Seek the Joy Podcast, the power of storytelling. Hello, hello. My name is Fran Dargaville and I'm a functional nutritionist and yoga teacher from Sydney in Australia. And I'm going to share with you a little bit about my own journey in health and life in general over the next 10 minutes or so. So I grew up being kind of healthy, I suppose. Um, We did a lot of sport growing up. I was really into sailing and surfing and all that good stuff. Love being outside. And at around age 15, I developed chronic fatigue for the first time and I just fell in a heap. I was absolutely exhausted all the time and I didn't know what was wrong with me. And I remember my mum taking me to all these different doctors and they just kept telling me that there was nothing wrong with me and there's nothing they could do. And they did all these tests and they just couldn't find anything wrong. They told me it was just a stage and, you know, to get on with my life basically. But I was sleeping upwards of 14 hours a night and I just knew something wasn't right and that time around I went and had acupuncture and that helped a lot and I just gradually got better over a period of a couple of months but then again when I was in my early 20s or early to mid 20s around five years ago I developed chronic fatigue for the second time so I'd been working 
in a government job, it was really stressful. It was a really, really toxic environment. You know, one of those places where I would walk into work in the morning and say to someone, oh, how are you going? You know, nice to see you. And they'd be like, oh yeah, not too good today. You know, it sucks being in here. And it was just really negative and really toxic. And I could tolerate that for a while. But when I got a few years into that career and that environment, I just couldn't handle it anymore. And it really started to take its toll on my health. And it wasn't only that, but I was also really into sports and fitness, like I said. So I was waking up at 5.30 every morning, driving an hour and a half, and then I would just flog myself in the gym before work every single day, um, really into weight training, which I still enjoy, but not in such a hardcore way. Uh, But at the time, I think that toxic environment, that overtraining and also the under eating because I was doing the bodybuilder style diet. So having like chicken and broccoli and food basically devoid of flavor um, and just not eating enough on a whole. And that really took its toll after a little while I could handle it for a while and then after after probably um, a few years of the working and a few years of the training like that I just started to get more and more exhausted and I kept it up I kept up appearances I kept going to work and all of that and then all of a sudden after years of never even having a sick day I found myself self-calling in sick for one week and then another week I would call in sick again and then again and again and I just couldn't keep up a full-time job. It was really a challenge. It was really difficult for me to make it through the day. I would be leaning down on my elbows like propping my eyes open with my hands so that I could keep looking at the computer screen and I was just struggling. I just felt like a shell of a human basically. And again, like I did the first time around, I went to all these different doctors and again, I got all these answers that were basically no answers at all. I was just told, you know, it's normal. We can't really find anything wrong with you per se. So there wasn't really anything that they could do. And then I came across a functional medicine practitioner, which was the first time someone actually seemed to understand what I was going to and going through, sorry, and acknowledge what I was going through and sort of offer me some solutions. So they did some very in-depth testing and Again, there were no um, huge answers or reasons. It wasn't any one thing that was causing the fatigue. It was a whole lot of different factors, basically. A, A dormant autoimmune condition, which hasn't actually yet been activated and hopefully never will. Um, so just some antibodies and various other things that were going on. So... What I did was basically take matters into my own hands because the functional medicine doctor was great and really helped, but I did not get all the day-to-day support to, you know, actually make the changes. They sort of just said, you know, 
are you eating a paleo type diet? And at that stage, I had already started to incorporate that. And um, yeah, so it was really all up to me. But that really helped and just being understood and seen by a doctor was really amazing and um, a really big part of my journey. So like I said, I took matters into my own hands. So I devoured every podcast, book, blog, everything I could get my hands on. And I just really immersed myself in learning all about health and chronic fatigue And there wasn't really a lot of information on chronic fatigue at the time and um, how to heal that sort of holistically. So I just got really into the whole real food um, sort of paleo movement and following a lot of big functional medicine doctors. And then I decided to study nutrition for myself. And I graduated from that in 2015, became a nutritional therapy practitioner and you know, as you often do with these kind of programs. I did that to heal myself, but I learned so much and I learned so much and was able to help myself go from feeling like a shell of a human and struggling with all of this to over time having much more energy, having much clearer skin, not having brain fog anymore, that I decided I would share this with other people and have been basically through social media and my blog and podcast, now I've been sharing all about the power of real food and really educating people that you need to get to the root cause of your symptoms. And you also, you can't always just take your doctor's word for it. You want to get different opinions. You want to keep looking for answers and don't give up. If you know something isn't right, don't just put up with it and don't just take you know, take someone's word for it. It's your own body and you, you know your body best. So do your research and keep searching for answers because there's definitely something that can be done and you don't have to put up with feeling crap and tired and exhausted and bloated or whatever it is that's going on for you. So I then, through that whole process, also discovered yoga. And funnily enough, When I was in my teens, I did some yoga at school and I hated it. And because I was really into sport, I thought yoga was stupid. You know, it doesn't get your heart rate up. It doesn't feel like a workout. And that's what I was all about. So why would I waste my time doing yoga? But when I got chronic fatigue that second time, I was so into exercise but I couldn't exercise. I found myself all of a sudden feeling so exhausted and I just needed some way of moving my body. So I would be walking around the block every morning. I was always getting outside. Even when I was so exhausted, I would just get up, get out the door and just go for a walk around the block. But then I also discovered yoga and yoga was just such a big part of that healing journey for me. And it really started in a really small studio in uh, the inner city of Sydney. And I was so fortunate at that time that that studio was, was pretty new. And I had often been, you know, the only person in class or there would only be a few people in the class. So I got that really intimate experience and it really just played such a huge part in my healing journey to 
you know, be able to strengthen my body to also be able to be in that environment for that yoga class for that hour where I could just be present and not be thinking about the job that I didn't like at the time or whatever else was going on in my life. I could just be there, even if I ended up just lying on the mat half of the time and just every time I left a class and every time I leave a class now, I just left feeling so calm and filled up and, um, you know, grateful, I suppose. So I went on to do a few yoga retreats after that as I was healing and getting a whole lot stronger. And then I decided, you know, why not just go do a yoga teacher training? I really just wanted to do it as basically an intensive retreat for a whole month. I was like, yeah, I'm going to, you know, go and do yoga for a whole month and it's going to be awesome. And I'm going to go to India and do it. And it's going to be such a cool experience. And it was all of that. (laughs) I had no intention of teaching yoga at all, but I went along to Rishikesh in the north of India in the beautiful mountains on the Ganges River. And I met some of the most awesome people I have ever met. So many amazing like-minded people. And I did a one-month yoga teacher training in Rishikesh. So that was a vinyasa and hatha yoga teacher training. And we would get up at six o'clock every morning, practice two hours of yoga and have all different classes during the day on breathing and anatomy and yoga philosophy and meditation. And then we'd have another two hour yoga class in the afternoon. And then we would wrap up at around eight o'clock at night. So a whole month from 6am to 8pm. And it was just the most amazing experience. It was full on. I absolutely loved it. And I loved, I loved every minute of it. I loved all the people I was with. And just being in India is just the most crazy experience. It's the second time I've been there. Just the, you know, all the beauty and the colors and the smells and the cows and the monkeys. It's just so, so awesome and life-changing. So like I said, I had no intention of teaching yoga but after that experience I was just so inspired and so lit up that I had to come back and dive straight into it and I came back and within weeks I'd set up my own classes down at my local sailing club on the deck on the water and we have the most beautiful place to practice yoga outside and it's so much fun and yeah just to be seeing this rather than making things like teaching yoga about about myself as we often do uh, what i've found over the years is you know of doing nutrition workshops and online programs and um teaching yoga and all of that we can often limit ourselves by you know who we think we are and what we think we're capable of but what i've tried to do instead is reframe it into you know what kind of gift can this offer people and with yoga you know it's a yoga class it makes people's days better likewise with nutrition programs and nutrition coaching and all of that any of these things are going to improve someone's day and improve their life so instead of making it about me when I make it about other people um, you know it's much more powerful and much more meaningful and you can just get out of your way and go for it. So 
that was an awesome experience. The yoga training was amazing. The nutrition training has been amazing. And now basically I just weave all of that in together and run online nutrition programs and work with clients and travel around the world because traveling is also a huge part of my life and teaching yoga and all of that. And it's all really fun and it's really exciting. So to anyone listening, what I would encourage you to do is to just get out of your own way, follow what feels good and follow what lights you up and think about what gifts you can offer people. You probably have something right now already without doing any more trainings or anything like that that you can already be offering people in the world. And the world needs more of all of our amazing, unique gifts. So I hope you have enjoyed me sharing my story and I hope you got something out of it. But go out there and change the world. See ya. My name is Stephanie Roman, and this is one of my stories. From a very young age, I was often told how pretty I was. Perhaps that statement sounds trite or even arrogant, but it happened. It's part of my lived experience, and it's important to the story. I never would have been able to put this into words at the time, but the attention I received, plus the required amount of pressure on women and girls to look a certain way, resulted in spending most of my formative years believing that the most important thing I had to offer the world was how I looked. This quote-unquote gift of mine had nothing to do with me. It said nothing about me as a person. It was entirely wrapped up in how others viewed me. Family, friends, my latest crush, strangers on the street, all these people got to decide what made me worthy. The problem is whomever you allow the power to make you feel worthy also wields the power to make you feel worthless. It's no surprise then that I spent years, a couple of decades actually, chasing my own worthiness mostly in the form of male attention and relationships, and when I felt rejection, I undoubtedly blamed my body. If I was prettier, thinner, more toned, less fat, he would have been interested. He would have stayed. He wouldn't have cheated. As ridiculous as it may sound, I truly believe that the way I was treated and if I was loved or unloved relied on the way I looked and how attractive others found me to be. Now let me say now that I know that was not a unique belief system. Many people, and especially women, live similarly, seeking acceptance and love based on the exterior from the external, feeling pressure to conform to society's beauty standards, feeling pressure to never age, to be a certain size, to have a certain body type, to be pleasing in the eyes of everyone. So I became obsessed. I tried every diet and exercise program there was. I bought books and read blogs and followed a myriad of Instagram accounts, all in the hope of making my body be what I thought it should be, 
what the world told me was possible just around the corner if only I had enough willpower and commitment. I knew well what it felt like to be proud of how long I could stay hungry without giving in or how to choke down tasteless foods I didn't like or how to work out until I felt nauseous. But no matter what I did, in my mind, it was never enough. I was never quite small enough. My stomach never revealed a six-pack. My legs never looked chiseled. I never felt the acceptance and love for myself that I needed. The only constant, the only thing that persisted were my negative thoughts about my body. So much so that at times it completely consumed my life. Looking at myself brought me to tears. I felt like a failure. I felt trapped in this body that wouldn't cooperate. Why couldn't I accomplish this one thing that was so important to me? Flash forward to age 36. I got married. I had done it. It took a while, but I found someone who would get down on one knee and give me a ring and plan a wedding and say he'd love me for the rest of my life. I finally had my stamp of approval. I was worthy. I was loved. My body hadn't failed me this time. My body was good enough. And I had the license to prove it. Unfortunately, it wasn't long before I realized that this marriage wasn't what I had hoped. The person I had chosen wasn't going to give me what I had been seeking. Instead, I had a partner who used my body shame against me, who mocked me, who called me names, who threatened me, who manipulated me, who lied to me, who gaslighted me, who did everything in his power to make me feel unloved. It took a while before the word abuse ever escaped my lips. And even now, it makes me uncomfortable to say it. I wasn't the type of person who thought I could be abused. I was strong and independent. I stood up for myself. But over time, I could no longer hide from the word. I could no longer pretend. It was painfully obvious. I was in an abusive relationship. I spent a lot of time during and after that relationship asking myself, how did I get here? How did I choose this person who was the exact opposite of all the qualities I seek in a partner? How did I miss the signs? The answers to those questions are lengthy and complicated, and parts of them are still revealing themselves to me, but I kept coming back to that how I felt about myself my body shame, my dependence on outside approval and acceptance led me to that place, led me to that relationship and the severe mistreatment that followed. I knew something had to change. I had to learn a different way to live. I had to find ways to find my worth from within. I had to make peace with my body. I sought out a coach who introduced me to the idea of body neutrality. I learned about intuitive eating and health at every size. I dug deep to isolate all the ways diet culture was affecting my thinking. I followed different blogs and different Instagram accounts. 
I confronted my own fat bias. I let my body reach the place it felt comfortable and healthy, even though that was really difficult sometimes. Shifting my mindset wasn't easy. It can be exhausting sometimes fighting against diet culture. But what's the alternative? Living with body shame wasn't easy either. It damaged me in more ways than I could have ever predicted. And every day I choose to never go back to that. As I sit here with several rolls in between my bust and my hips, I'm at peace. The work I put in to make peace with my body has led to so much more than I could have expected. I'm better at setting boundaries. I listen to my intuition more. It's easier to determine if a decision feels authentic and true for me. I know how to challenge long-held beliefs that aren't serving me. I have met and learned from incredibly inspiring people. What's more, I now have the wonderful gift and privilege to coach women who have lived with similar struggles. I'm so grateful. I'm grateful for one of the lowest times in my life because it forced me to stop fighting with myself. I say this is only one of my stories because while important and integral, this story is only a starting place and as I approach midlife, I can't wait to see what other stories I will have to tell. Our next story comes from Victoria Bleeden. My horse saved my life. I was the quintessential horse-crazy child who grew up to be a horse-crazy adult. I learned at a very young age that horses fulfilled me in a way no person could. These majestic beings captured my heart and nourished my soul. For nearly 30 years, competitive riding was the vehicle I chose to fuel my horse obsession. Ten years ago, I was the mother of 10-year-old twin boys and the wife of an entrepreneurial man whose inflated optimism, bad business decisions, and excessive spending had left us in poor financial shape. My then-husband expected me, a stay-at-home wife, to use my inheritance, which was left to me prior to marriage, to support the family he was unable to provide for. I began feeling trapped, used, in a loveless, financially abusive marriage, yet I dismissed my miserable reality, believing things would change. I chose to hyper-focus on writing, my forever passion, as a way to escape my home life. I assumed my beloved horses and sport could fulfill and satisfy the void and emptiness I felt. How wrong I was. When my impeccably behaved trusty show horse, Tater, suddenly morphed into an unpredictable renegade, I assumed he was in physical pain. I sought the support of numerous practitioners, veterinarians, chiropractors, animal communicators, hoping to find the cause of his explosive, unexplainable behavior. Dozens of tests failed to explain or find the just cause of his sudden, erratic behavior. 
Tater, the horse I had connected with on the first ride, who I had won countless awards with and was the ultimate confidence booster, had become a suspicious stranger. Without explanation, I was at a loss. He was a ticking time bomb, and I was the mother of two young boys. Consciously, I knew I could no longer put myself in danger. Riding him was no longer a viable option. I had spent the majority of my life riding and competing. I had owned nearly a dozen horses and competed from California to New York. Riding was my persona. I was confident, able, and at home on the back of a horse. To be robbed of that, all that I knew, all that I relied upon for comfort, was agonizing. In the blink of an eye, I no longer felt accomplished or talented. Overnight, I was reduced to merely a housewife, responsible for twin boys and a deadbeat husband. Losing this lifelong obsession, the very thing I held so dear, left me waiting in a pool of despair. Suddenly, I was stripped of my identity, worth, and self-respect. Without my passion, my driving force, I merely existed. I was the person who was expected to emotionally, physically, and financially support my children and husband. I was expected, as I always had, to take care of everyone else's needs without regard to mine. I was used to it. At six, I was a sexual playground. At eight, a punching bag. I learned early on my needs were unimportant. I was nobody's priority. Yet as human beings, we cannot deny our need for attachment. The longing for connection and unconditional love exists within all of us despite what we are conditioned to believe. Tater forced me to give up the thing I believed empowered me. Initially, I was furious at my steady Eddie partner, the horse I had come to rely upon. In an instant, I no longer trusted him. Despite my grief, I needed a reason or the cause of his sudden, erratic, dangerous behavior. In pursuit of an answer, I began spending time with him, a lot of time. One-on-one, off his back, I was scared of him, and he knew it. It's impossible to hide fear from a horse. And so I allowed myself to become vulnerable, truthful, and transparent with my feelings in his presence. To my surprise, when I revealed my true, ugly self to him, something changed. He softened and soon became not only trustworthy again, but a safe haven. I came to find my emotional pain, loss, and sadness did not push him away, but rather drew him near to me. He let me be real. Horses have survived centuries by being attuned and aware of their environment. Their hypersensitivity enables them to sense the most subtle changes within us, our body language, breathing, and heart rate, which are true indicators of our emotions. They mirror us through their behavior, allowing us self-awareness of how our non-verbal communications and emotions may be affecting our lives and others. Connection is the key component in any partnership or relationship. Horses connect and inherently accept us. When we allow our authentic self to be exposed, when horses trust, they enable us to feel supported in the moment. 
Connection cannot be forced or manufactured in any relationship. It can only be achieved organically where there is a balance of trust, respect, and transparency. If we deny, avoid, or mask our emotions, horses sense incongruity and disconnect. Disconnection in a partnership occurs when one or both partners disrupts the balance. Reestablishing connection can only occur if both partners are authentic. Horses have been my greatest healers and teachers. Throughout my life, horses have supported my true self, my authenticity. Tater changed my life. He forced me to find the courage to step into the darkness and trust myself to emerge in the light. Horses have blessed me with a lifetime of healing. And this gift was the impetus to creating my equine guided program, The Empowered Herd. I am now an equine-assisted coach, utilizing horses to help women shed the thoughts and beliefs, keeping them from all that which they desire. Sometimes we must survive darkness in order to live in light. Denying our pain and the feelings that arise from our challenges keeps us in darkness. Only when we are willing to acknowledge the pain can we begin to move toward light. Horses have the unique ability to help people reveal unconscious blocks, negative patterns, and thoughts. Stepping into the darkness, the pain alone is frightening, and it's ultimately what keeps us stuck. Horses can help guide us through the shadows, offering unconditional support as we journey toward the light of our truth and begin living the life we deserve. My story is my attempt to illustrate how horses changed my life. Women are culturally conditioned to adhere and ascribe to beliefs, thoughts, and expectations we learned early on. I grew up in a legendary entertainment family. I was blessed with material wealth and private education. I was expected to marry a man of similar status who would support me. My physical appearance was held in high regard, yet my inner worth was insignificant. Twelve years of physical and emotional abuse robbed me of my power and self-esteem. Hypervigilant, on guard, and in survival mode was how I learned to live life. I fell in love with horses at a young age and found an insatiable need to have them in my life. I later learned it was because they saw me and accepted who I was, not what I was trained to believe. My story is one many don't return from. My hope is to illustrate to other women that there's a way out. There are hundreds of equine-assisted programs throughout the world, and I'm hoping my story might inspire someone to explore this incredible avenue of healing. I'm now living a life full of joy. My divorce is near final, my dream business is up and running, and I have met the man of my dreams. My dream is to be able to build my program and share the healing power of horses with other women while living an independent life of my choosing. This is Seek the Joy podcast, the power of storytelling. Join us, share your story. For more information and to get involved, visit seekthejoypodcast.com. This series airs the third week of every month and make sure to join us for Seek the Joy Tuesday. Until then, thank you for your honesty.
Thank you for your bravery. Thank you for your joy. Thank you for being here. And thank you for listening. Thank you.